0: Chapter thirty one of Malcolm by George Macdonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Devora Allen. Chapter thirty one Wandering Stars. He had not been gone many minutes when the laird passed once more through the strait and then stood a moment waiting for Feemy. She had persuaded him to go home to her father's for the night. But the next instant he darted back with trembling hands caught hold of Feemy, who was following him with the lantern, and stammered in her ear, "'There's somebody there. I dinna ken whaur they come frae.' Feemy went to the front of the passage and listened, but could hear nothing, and returned. ye whaur ye are, laird,' she said. "'I'll gin done, and gane hear or see nothing, I'll come back for ye.' With careful descent, placing her feet on the well-known points unerringly, she reached the bottom and peeped into the outer cave. The place was quite dark. Through its jaws the sea glimmered faint in the low light that skirted the northern horizon, and the slow pulse of the tide upon the rocks was the sole sound to be heard. No, another in the cave close beside her. One small, solitary noise, as of shingle yielding under the pressure of a standing foot. She held her breath and listened, her heart beating so loud that she feared it would deafen her to what would come next. A good many minutes—half an hour, it seemed to her—passed, during which she heard nothing more. But as she peeped out for the twentieth time, a figure glided into the field of vision bounded by the cave's mouth. It was that of a dumpy woman. She entered the cave, tumbled over one of the forms, and gave a cry coupled with an imprecation— "'The divil roast them, at laid me sick a trap,' she said. "'I have broken the shins the old Marcus lauded. Hold your wicked tongue,' hissed a voice in return, almost in Fimi's very ear. "'Oh, you're there, are you, mem?' rejoined the other, in a voice that held internal communication with her wounded shins. "Could it ye the crans like me?' The question, Englished, was, "'Did you fall head over heels like me?' but was capable of a metaphorical interpretation as well. "'Hold your tongue, I say, woman. Who knows but some of the saints may be at their prayers within hearing.' Na, na, men, there's na no risk o' that. This is no one of your creepy caves where otters and wool-cats have their habitations. It's a muckle open-mowed place. Like them it prays into it, as toom and clear-sighted as a tongueless bill. What for you it has come here to our cracks, I cannot fathom.' A body would think ye had an ill thought in your head, eh, amen. The suggestion was followed by a low, almost sneering laugh. As she spoke, the sounds of her voice and step had been advancing, with cautious, intermittent approach. ha, you know, she said, as she seated herself at length beside the other. The gok, Geordie Bree, she went on, to take it into his ugly head at the cratur will be herklin' here. "'It's not the place for one that has to hide his head "'for the shame of slipping off the likes o' himself "'upon a brow mither. "'Could he get near their door to win it heath?' "'Woman, you'll drive me mad,' said the other. "'Well, Haney," returned the former, "'suddenly changing her tone, "'I'm mere and mere convinced at yons the there a lad for your purpose. "'For one thing, ye see, "'nobody kens where he come frae, "'as the laird, bonny lad, would say, "'and nobody can contradict a word.' The old man less than anybody, for I can tell him what he comes to be truth. Only I winna move till I ken whaur he comes frae. Wouldn't you prefer not knowing for certain? You could swear with the better grace. <laughs> Deal a bit. It matters na to me wilk side o my teeth I show with, but I will not swear till I ken the truth, that I may hold off it. He's the man though. Gien we can get a grip on. He looks the right thing, ye see, ma'am. He has a glisk o the marcus too dimna ye you know think mem insolent wretch cock ony mem a thing maun be considered it would but gar the thing look the mair likely folk gang's the length the saying at humpie himself's not the sin o the old laird honest man it's a wicked lie burst with indignation from the other there may be war things not a bit lay ony one thing's easy privin ye lay ver a doy for a month or six weeks once upon a time at lossy house and that was a few years, we needna spear how many, after he was lightened o the tither. When they hear that at that time ye gave birth to the lad, bairn, the wilk was stolen away, and never heard tell of till now. It may well be, folk will say, them it has drunk would drink again. It would afford reasons, you see, and good ones, for the bairn being puttin out of sight, and would make the hell story mere no likely in the judgment o all that heard it. You scandalous woman! That would be to confess to all the world that he was not the son of my late husband. They say that o' him it is, and home uncle the where are ye. Let them say it they like, so long as we can show it he came o' your body, and was born in wedlock. Ye have your lands once more, for ye have a son that can guide them, and ye can guide him. He's a bonny lad, bonny enough to be your ladyships, and his lordships. And so, as I was remarking, in the judgment o' ill-thoughted folk, "'the mayor likely to be heir to old Stewart a Kirkbyers.' "'She laughed huskily. "'But I'm on how I skirt your pen, ma'am, afore I wag tongue about it.' "'She went on. "'I ken broly how to set it goin. I said not be the first to ring the bell. "'No, nah, nah. I shall set Miss Horne's jean join, "'and it'll be all over the town in a jiffy. "'At first in a kind of a sock that nobody'll understand, "'but it'll grow louder and plainer. "'At the long last it'll come to your ladyship's hearin', "'And saying ye have me tain-up open question afore a justice of the peace, "'that there may be no look o' any compact between us two. "'But, as I said afore, "'I'll no move till I ken all about the lad first. "'And saying get scared to your pen, ma'am.' "'You must be the devil himself,' said the other, "'in a tone that was not of displeasure. "'I have been telled that afore, and with less reason.' "'Was the reply?' given also in a tone that was not of displeasure. "'But what if we should be found out?' "'Ye can lay it all upon me. "'And what will you do with it?' "'Take it with me,' was the answer, accompanied by another husky laugh. "'Where to?' "'Spare no questions, and ye'll be tilt'na lays. "'Honeygate, I so leave no track behind me. "'And for that same sake, I maun ham my part in my hand the minute the thing's been sworn till.' "'Gin ye fail me, ye'll soon see me get mere light upon the subject, "'and confess till a great mistake. "'Pay the mighty, but I'll swear the very contrary the next time I'm hit up. Ay, an a body will believe me. "'And what will ye be then, my lady? "'For though I might mistake, ye could not. "'Faith, they'll have ye tain up for perjury.' "'You're a dangerous accomplice,' said the lady. "'I'm a tool ye maun take by the handle." "'or he'll rue the edge,' returned the other quietly. "'As soon, then, as I get a hold of that misbegotten elf, me neither the young laird or the young marquis mem, "'You forget, Mistress Katina, that you are speaking to a lady. "'Ye maun been uncle like one one night, on mem, "'But I'm done with my jokin. "'As soon, I say, as I get my poor boy into proper hands, "'I shall be ready to take the next step. "'What for should ye put it off till then?' "'He cannot do muckle one way or tither. "'I will tell you. "'His uncle, Sir Joseph, prides himself on being an honest man, "'and if some busybody were to tell him that poor Stephen, "'as I am told people are saying, "'was no worse than harsh treatment had made him, "'for you know his father could not bear the sight of him "'to the day of his death, "'he would be the more determined to assert his guardianship "'and keep things out of my hands. "'But if I once had the poor fellow in an asylum, "'or in my own keeping, you see,' "'Well, ma'am, gin I be pot a yer penny!' exclaimed the midwife with her gelatinous laugh. Losh, ma'am!' she burst out after a moment's pause. "'Gin you and me was to fall out, there would be a stramash. <laughs> "'They rose and left the cave together, talking as they went. "'And Feemy, trembling all over, rejoined the laird. "'She could understand little of what she had heard, and yet, enabled by her affection— "'retained in her mind a good deal of it. "'After events brought more of it to her recollection, "'and what I have here given "'is an attempted restoration of the broken mosaic. "'She rightly judged it better to repeat nothing "'of what she had overheard to the laird, "'to whom it would only redouble terror, "'and when he questioned her in his own way concerning it, "'she had little difficulty, so entirely did he trust her, "'in satisfying him with a very small amount of information.' When they reached her home, she told all she could to her father, whose opinion it was that the best, indeed the only thing they could do, was to keep, if possible, a yet more vigilant guard over the laird and his liberty. Soon after they were gone, Malcolm returned, and little thinking that there was no one left to guard, chose a sheltered spot in the cave, carried thither a quantity of dry sand, and lay down to sleep, covered with his tarpaulin coat. He found it something chilly, however, and did not rest so well but that he woke with the first break of day. The morning, as it drew slowly on, was a strange contrast in its grey and saffron to the gorgeous sunset of the night before. The sea crept up on the land as if it were weary and did not care much to flow any more. Not a breath of wind was in motion and yet the air, even on the shore, seemed full of the presence of decaying leaves and damp earth. He sat down in the mouth of the cave and looked out on the still, half-waking world of ocean and sky before him, a leaden ocean and a dull, misty sky. And as he gazed, a sadness came stealing over him and a sense of the endlessness of labor, labor ever returning on itself and making no progress. The mad laird was always lamenting his ignorance of his origin. Malcolm thought he knew whence he came, and yet what was the much good of life? Where was the end to it all? People so seldom got what they desired. To be sure, his life was a happy one, or had been. But there was the poor laird. Why should he be happier than the laird? Why should the laird have a hump and he have none? If all the world were happy but one man— that one's misery would be as a cairn on which the countless multitudes of the blessed must heap the stones of endless questions and enduring perplexities. It is one thing to know from whom we come, and another to know him from whom we come. Then his thoughts turned to Lady Florimel. All the splendors of existence radiated from her, but to the glory he could never draw nearer, the celestial fires of the rainbow fountain of her life could never warm him. She cared about nothing he cared about. If they had a common humanity, they could not share it. To her he was hardly human. If he were to unfold before her the deepest layers of his thought, she would look at them curiously, as she might watch the doings of an ant or a spider. Had he no right to look for more? He did not know, and sat brooding with bowed head. Unseen from where he sat, the sun drew nearer the horizon. The light grew, the tide began to ripple up more diligently. A glimmer of dawn touched even the brown rock in the farthest end of the cave. Where there was light, there was work, and where there was work for anyone, there was at least justification of his existence. That work must be done, if it should return, and return in a never-broken circle." its theory could wait. For, indeed, the only hope of finding the theory of all theories, the divine idea, lay in the going on of things. In the meantime, while God took care of the sparrows by himself, he allowed Malcolm a share in the protection of a human heart capable of the keenest suffering—that of the mad laird. End of chapter 31